Welcome to an episode of Working Class with Attorney Ryan, where I break down the most outrageous, scandalous, and headlining workplace violations and cases happening today. We're going to jump right in. This episode is called Workplace Sins and Tuckeria Confessions because it involves three shady managers, a fake priest, and over $140,000 in stolen wages. Now, the whole situation reads like a frickin' cartoon. The managers got busted stealing from their workers. I call them the three amigos. You might want to call them the three stooges. Either is perfectly fine with me. Well, either way, the three amigos put on a master class of exactly what not to do if you're getting investigated by the Federal Department of Labor for wide-scale wage theft and labor violations. All of this started back in 2021, when the U.S. Department of Labor received a tip from one of their 35 Taqueria employees. The employee said that something was a little off at this restaurant, and it wasn't the allegations that there was a spy dressed in a party city priest costume. That part comes later. According to the complaint filed by the DOL, the Taqueria Garibaldi in Sacramento, California, was managed by three men. These are the three amigos. Eduardo Hernandez, part owner, Hector Manuel Martinez Galindo, also part owner, and general manager Alejandro Rodriguez. Anyway, the three of these characters end up on the hook for an extra $5,000 in penalties for obstructing a federal investigation at the end of this story. But what got them in trouble to start with? Well, the three amigos had a pattern in practice of wage violations. The picture we get is a nightmarish work environment run by bosses who use fear, deception, and a lot of underhanded record keeping, if we could even call it that, to steal from their workers. The Department of Labor alleged that Taqueria employees worked over 40 hours per week, with many of them working over 12 hours in a single shift. The employees had multiple job responsibilities, as a lot of restaurant workers do, includes taking orders from customers, cleaning floors, bathrooms, tables, windows, cutting meat and vegetables, actually cooking the food. And for those who don't know, federal law requires hourly non-exempt workers be paid one and a half times their base rate for all hours worked over 40 hours in a work week. That's the federal rule. But California has some special requirements. In California, after eight hours in a single day, even if you haven't worked 40 hours in that week, you get overtime. After 12 hours, you get double time. So eight hours in a day, 40 hours in a week, and then double if you're working 12 or more hours. Now, if you're working your people 12 plus hours in a day, that is a lot of overtime. But the managers at the Taqueria had a problem. They apparently didn't believe in paying their workers overtime. They didn't pay double time, and they didn't believe in giving workers any breaks either. One employee testified that she was actually afraid to take breaks because one of the managers would actually patrol the restaurant, like walk around the restaurant looking at workers, looking for people who weren't working hard enough. If you were taking a break, having a seat, or even working too slow, they would punish you. Now, the punishments varied. There's a lot of different ways they would do this, but some of the workers claimed that their friends would be fired without warning. If they were caught eating or taking breaks, boom, out of there. One of the workers testified, quote, I saw my coworkers hide in the walk-in refrigerator to take a break to eat. Now think about that for a minute. 
you're so afraid of your managers. These guys are creating such a hostile work environment here that even when you're working a 12-hour day, the only chance you have an opportunity to take a bite of food is to hide in the frickin' refrigerator. Apart from the firings, it appears workers were made to work without pay. Now, obviously, there's a lot of that going on in this case, but it's not clear if this was just business as usual or if the extra unpaid hours were punishment for being caught taking a break. Maybe Hector caught you in the refrigerator trying to have just a taco to get through your day and decided you should work for free. Not very fair, but we see that a lot in the restaurant industry. Either way, the court documents paint a complete culture of fear at this place. Now, I got to stop here for a second. If you're a boss and you make your people work 12 hours in a day, you had better let them sit once in a while and get some food. I don't care what weird hustle culture podcast you're listening to. I don't care how much you paid for the Grant Cardone conference. The human body requires fuel and rest to function. It's biology. It's science. Are you smarter than science, three amigos? I don't think you are. And if this sounds anything like some place you've worked, here are some facts. Short breaks under 20 minutes are paid breaks. That comes from the Federal Fair Labor Standards Act, and it's not a new rule. I get some bosses who say, oh, it must be a new rule, never heard of it. Bullshit. The FLSA was signed into law by FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, in the 1930s. This rule's older than most people's grandparents. It's not new. Now, there's no federal rule that you get a break at any specific time, but in California, which is where this case happened, you should get a break on regular intervals. And here's how it breaks down. In an eight-hour shift, you should get at least two paid 10-minute breaks and one unpaid 30-minute break. That's an eight-hour day in California. In a 12-hour day, which a lot of these employees had to work, you're supposed to get two unpaid 30-minute breaks and four paid 10-minute breaks. Not asking a whole lot here. So how did the three amigos rack up a $140,000 tab for unpaid wages? Well, they had a little scheme going on. They paid workers in checks for the first 40 hours. Those checks didn't have any wage statements attached to them, and that's going to be super important later because California law and federal law requires record keeping. So anyway, they pay you in checks for the first 40 hours, and for any hours over 40, they paid in cash, and for all of these, they paid at the regular rate. They didn't pay the overtime rate. They didn't pay double time. An anonymous employee who cooperated with the investigation testified under oath that even on weeks where she worked 60 hours, she would only get paid for 40. This kind of thing happens a lot more than you might think. Wage theft is a multi-billion dollar problem in the United States. And a big reason for that is employees are just terrified of their bosses. They're freaking scared. And at the Taqueria Garibaldi, many of the workers did not speak English. They didn't understand the law. They didn't know their rights. And some of them might have been undocumented. People who didn't have legal status in the U.S., and the managers use that information to kind of say, look, here's the deal. You can work for free or maybe ICE comes by for a taquito. Maybe they ask some questions and maybe things go very bad for you while they're here. So why don't you work the extra hours and shut up about it? That happens. That is real life. And if anyone here is listening who's undocumented or maybe your friends or family are, here's the deal. You are still protected by federal labor rules. 
You can't be punished for making a complaint of unpaid wages, even if you don't have papers in the United States. Your immigration status is irrelevant. And I know that's going to upset some people, and it might be confusing, but there's a really good reason why we have that rule. Because think about it for a minute. If an employer could bring workers into the United States who didn't have legal status, not pay them for their work, and threaten them with deportation every time they ask for their money, well, that's basically an incentive for shady employers to hold people hostage against their will. It would be an incentive for human trafficking and essentially extract slave labor from people, which is why we have the rule that even if you're not here legally, you cannot be punished for reporting unpaid wages, and it is no excuse not to follow the Fair Labor Standards Act. So this episode of Working Class is brought to you by Caffeine Addiction. That's right, Caffeine Addiction. I like to start my day with three or four cups of coffee, maybe a Yerba Mate. Makes me jittery, makes me nervous, makes my hands sweat. I go through three pairs of socks a day because of caffeine addiction, and you can too. Not going to keep this a secret to myself. How would you like to be tired, but still somehow be impossibly awake? Caffeine addiction. Try it today. Just to reiterate, because this is so, so important. Federal law applies to all workers, everyone. And threatening to report you to immigration authorities if you cooperate with federal labor investigators is super duper illegal. And if your boss is making threats, either about immigration or anything else, a lot of times it's because they're scared. They're scared because they're being investigated. They've been caught. They don't want to pay the penalties. The three amigos here, they had a great time bullying workers until the federal investigators rolled up. When the DOL launched its investigation, these guys panicked. Like, to think of that meme, SpongeBob SquarePants, and inside his brain, there's a bunch of other little SpongeBob SquarePants running around with their heads on fire. That, that's panic, and that is what these goobers did. These guys put on a straight-up clown show. Panic moves all up and down. First of all, I mean, they had good reason. I mean, let's start with this. Their employees totally hated their guts, and, and of course they did. So you could bet these workers were going to be cooperative as fuck when the DOL started asking questions. And the first question these investigators always ask, this is how the investigations go. If you're getting busted for federal wage violations, they send some people over, some investigators, some feds, and they say, hey, what's up? Uh, Can I take a look at your employee records? What's going on with payroll? Can I look at that? Yeah, I'm going to take a seat right here in your office. Why don't you pull up? I don't know. The past three years of records for every employee who's ever worked here. Uh, And why don't you put on a cup of coffee? Because it's going to be a long day. That's the first thing they do. And the bosses freaking panicked. Remember those checks? Remember paying employees and checks for the first 40 hours? Paying them in cash for everything else? They did that specifically so there wouldn't be any records. Geniuses thought that would help them out, made their situation way, way worse. So when the feds rolled in like, hey, man, what's up with your files? The bosses had an absolute meltdown. First, God, this is this is not what you do. This is not (laughs) what you do. This is bad. They printed out a bunch of yellow time cards and sent them to the staff. These are blank time cards with the dates open. The DOL investigators that the bosses rounded up the workers and said, hey, fill out these new time cards for all the dates you worked for the past few years. They were telling employees to falsify time cards and backdate them. They said, fill out the time cards 
make it look like you worked 40 hours each week, which of course wasn't true. And that's what the three amigos wanted for their fresh records, which totally wouldn't look suspicious as hell, by the way. Like that's not going to raise any red flags. We suddenly have a bunch of time cards, all brand new, uh, all backdated. It's not going to fool anyone. But they did this because they were hoping that it would look like they didn't break any rules. Now, obviously, that is a Hail Mary at best. So one of the amigos, Eduardo Hernandez, allegedly decided to lock this shit down. He's like, look, if we're going to falsify evidence, if we're going to really get around this whole federal labor law thing, let's lock it down. He looked around at his Mexican Catholic staff and thought, hey, I got an idea. I got an idea that's going to fix our problem. It's totally not going to backfire. Like, there's no way this ends up on some asshole's podcast later on. Mr. Hernandez grabs a buddy and says, all right, dude, you're a priest and you're going to do confessions at the back of my restaurant. The buddy says, bet I'll be there. What do you want? Total cuckoo weirdo stuff. Well, Mr. Hernandez says, I want you to spy on my workers. I want you to get some information from these people. Find out if there's any workplace sins going on. Now, I don't know what they did with this guy. I know that they apparently held confessions at the back of the restaurant somewhere. I don't know if he brought a booth with him. I don't think he brought a booth. I don't know if he was wearing an outfit. I would assume that he came wearing something. Employees testified that this was a real dude. He's kind of a mystery character. And he came in acting like a holy father doing confessions. But the Bay Area Diocese, that's kind of the uh, where you would go if you needed a real priest, if you want to book one. The Bay Area Diocese says they have no idea who this guy was. And of course, the Amigos aren't giving up their guy so easy. Now, part of the reason we don't know this mystery priest guy is this case got settled by something called a consent decree. And for those who don't know, that basically means that both sides got together and reached a settlement. Okay, so this didn't go to trial. We didn't get all these people exposed like maybe we would have wanted to. But this ended in a settlement, which is why some of these witnesses are still super secret squirrel. All we know is the employees say confessions with this priest happened and they were weird AF. In a sworn declaration submitted to the court, employee Maria Perez said, quote, the priest asked if I had stolen anything at work, if I was ever late to my employment, because time out here, because, yeah, how can we forget the 11th commandment? Thou shalt not be late to work. Jesus. Anyway, moving on. Miss Perez said the priest asked if she did anything to harm her employer or if she had any bad intentions toward her employment. So looking to extract some information, probably intimidate her or find out what she said to the federal investigators, who she said it to. So clearly this is a setup, and it set off alarm bells for Maria right away. By sticking workers with a priest and extracting information about work, the employers, the three amigos, the three stooges, probably hoped to get some information they could use against the employees who cooperated with the investigation. Now, I got to say, seeing something like this makes me wonder a couple of things. I've always thought confession was weird. I thought it was weird that there's a whole religious practice where you go into a little box and start spilling your deepest, darkest secrets to a clergyman. Personally, I always I would love to get a historian on the show. Personally, I always suspected the real purpose of confession was to help the clergy and the ruling class think 
landowners, royalty, people like that, keep an eye on the commoners because what better way to catch a peasant revolt before it starts if they're spilling the beans to a priest every so often? Good way to keep an eye on people. Now, hiring a fake priest to spy on employees right in the middle of a Department of Labor investigation is a prime example why I would be really suspicious of confessions. Now, there's a couple of legal issues here I want to address. First, we'll start with the big holy elephant in the room. Is this religious discrimination? No, not really. Not really. Simply making a priest available for confessions, if anything, might be considered an accommodation, but not really discrimination by itself. Now, if you had a Catholic priest available for confessions and then maybe you had a a Jewish worker, say they wanted one of their religious leaders to drop by and you said no, then maybe there's something. But looking at this, I don't see religious discrimination. It's just weird cuckoo stuff. Second, any law students listening might be wondering how this testimony was even admitted, because in the rules of evidence, there's a little thing called the priest penitent privilege, also known as confessional privilege. And this rule exists for one reason. It's to keep out of court, to forbid from entering any kind of evidence of confessions made by a churchgoer to a priest. So my wonderful law student followers love you all, by the way, love you all. You might be wondering, would, why would this evidence of this weird confession come in if there's the priest penitent privilege? I award you many points for bringing it up, but the answer is no, it wouldn't keep that evidence out. For starters, the confessional privilege doesn't apply if the priest is actually a spy planted by the employer. So there's that issue. But even if it was a real priest, let's say it was a real priest, the person making the confession holds the keys to the confessional privilege. So even though the priest who hears the confession can't go into court and say, yeah, your honor, here's what's up. Maria's totally cheating on her husband. She told me in the confession booth. Can't say that. Priest can't do that. But the person who makes the confession can waive the privilege of it at any time. And that's basically what Maria Panna did. She thought it was kind of weird that while she's trying to confess actual sins, spill the tea as we might say, The priest is basically like, yeah, no, I don't care about your lustful thoughts today. No big deal. Um, But did you ever come in late to work? You ever have a dentist appointment that wasn't really a dentist appointment? Because that's some hellfire for you if you did. I think it's very weird. This is all happening right in the middle of a massive investigation. And this is just panic. These are employers who are busted. They know their goose is cooked and they're panicking. Now, if the three amigos had stopped right there, this would be a crazy case. And it is a crazy case, but they didn't stop there. And that's what makes this whole church of the taqueria thing just fascinating to me. In addition, as if this wasn't enough, in addition to forcing workers to falsify time cards, hiring a fake priest to spy on them, firing workers who took brace, strongly implying that they would be in immigration trouble if they cooperated with the feds, and just generally being nightmare bosses, the managers also pressured employees to make false statements under oath. And you know what? I forgot something. I'm going to bring this up right now. The managers also got busted stealing tips. This is something that came up in the complaint filed by the DOL. The managers had a practice of keeping for themselves a portion of all the tips workers made. Now, that's super illegal. If you're a manager with hiring and firing power, you are not allowed in any state 
to take a piece of an employee's tip pool. That belongs to the workers. If you have hiring and firing power, you can't be in the tip pool. You can have tips. If you get paid a tip, that's your tip. That's fine. But you can't take from the tip pool. And the reasoning makes a lot of sense. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Daddy Issues. That's right, Daddy Issues. Did your dad hug you enough growing up? Did he ever say he was proud of you? Yeah, me either. Do you crave approval from male authority figures? Well, you're not alone. With Daddy Issues, you can slip in open court and call the judge dad instead of your honor. Fun for everyone. And it's only in the court record. It's public for everyone to see. Daddy Issues. Try it out today. A manager with hiring and firing power can basically decide to get an unfair portion of the tip pool for themselves. They can take a massive percentage and what are workers going to do? They're scared they'll be fired if they say anything. So that's why you can't do this. And they got busted. So in addition to the fake priest pressuring employees to make false statements under oath, the DOL accused the three amigos of telling workers to write bogus declarations the bosses told workers that they had to write a note saying that they were always paid correctly, they always got breaks, and that their employers treated them good, their words. In another effort to intimidate employees, the managers held very visible meetings with their attorneys in the dining area of the taqueria, and they did this so workers would see, so they would have these uh you know, big law attorneys come in with their suits and their cell phones and their little briefcases or whatever the hell these big law guys are doing and just kind of scare the employees. Look at these big attorneys we have. Look how scary we are. Um, didn't really work for them. As much as we might applaud Takaria Garibaldi for putting up a hell of a fight, in the end, the employees won. The employees won. The Takaria was ordered to pay a total of $140,000 plus an additional $5,000 in fines for obstructing the investigation. Here's how it broke down. $70,000 of that was damages, penalties, you know, basically, you know, slapping them. The other 70K was distributed among the 35 workers. Now, how much you got from this depended on how long you've been working. I think the lowest paid employee had only been around for like a month. They got like 50 something dollars, but one of the more long serving employees got over $5,000. So this is a big win for the workers. Yeah. The restaurant gets to break that up into payments. There's a payment schedule that's common, uh, but it does accrue interest. And in addition to this, there's one more thing. The DOL said the DOL typed up a little letter explaining all of the workers' rights in English and in Spanish. And then in the presence of the feds, the managers have to read this to the workers, which is a great message. There's nothing better than watching your boss eat a big fat piece of humble pie, read their rights to you uh, in front of the feds. That's a good feeling. So what do we make of this case? The fake priest, the wage theft, the intimidation, eating lunch in a refrigerator. What does this say? Well, the employees came out ahead on this and they were protected from retaliation the whole time. A lot of wage theft goes unreported because workers are so afraid of what their bosses are going to do to them. But here's the deal. Your boss has all the power until you ask for help. When you get federal investigators involved, or if you get an attorney involved, the balance of power shifts. They can't just fire you. They can't fire you for cooperating with a federal investigation. They can't fire you for refusing to make a false statement under oath like they told the employees. And they definitely can't fire you because some fake priest got some weird confession out of you. That is shady AF. The point is 
workers are afraid. I get it. But the age of fear is over, folks. These employers had to pay through the nose for what they did. And all of the employees who cooperated in this investigation, you better believe it's going to be really hard to fire these people for a while. Because if you fire an employee who just cooperated in a federal investigation, it looks a lot like retaliation. You have to prove now that that employee actually had poor work performance. So honestly, the three amigos, they're walking on eggshells around their workers. Balance of power is totally pulled in uno reverse here. Being afraid of your boss is going out like the boomers. Now we're empowered. We know our rights. We make a paper trail and we stand up for each other. Folks, this has been Working Class with Attorney Ryan. If you liked the episode, please give me a like. Subscribe to the channel. Leave a comment. Tell me what you want to see next. Maybe share it with a friend. It sure helps a lot. Thank you, and I'll see you on the next one.